driving through Guatemala and uh, we had been riding the motorcycles for a while and really got a good feel for them after a few miles, you know, uh, that day. And we had just gone across the river on a little pontoon boat. We put both motorcycles on and the boat was small enough so that when the bike went on to the boat, went down a little bit. Um, so it was, it was a pretty small boat to get across the river. And then on the other side of the river, there was just beautiful pavement and it was dry and it was sunny. And I was just really feeling the flow that day. And, and I probably carved turns and scraped more pegs that day, uh, faster than I'd ever done. And it was, it was effortless. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 171, a three-month, 16,000-mile motorcycle adventure from Boulder, Colorado, down through Central and South America with Ben and Ken Kreiderman. Welcome back to another Adventure Sports Podcast episode. This is your host, Travis. So today on with me are Ben and Ken Kreiderman. They are uh, father and son. So Ken Kreiderman being the father and Ben Kreiderman being the son. Uh, these guys decided in November of 2012 to take a couple of BMW R1200GS adventures uh, down from Boulder, Colorado, all the way down to Ushuaia in South America. Um, Ben, you've heard his ad on our show. He's the owner and operator of uh, House of Motor Ad in Boulder, Colorado, where they service and rent uh, motorcycles from many makes. Uh, they have a great shop over there, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But to get started, we want to see what got these guys into their riding careers and ultimately what it is that sparked their interest to ride motorcycles down to South America. So Ben and Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you guys. So let's start with Ben. Um, your background, were you, uh, were you uh, a rider, a kid that rode around on dirt bikes? Did you get started in, in motorcycles a little bit later in life? How did you end up getting into riding itself? Um, well, I rode motorized things of some sort uh, a lot when I was little. Um, my dad used to take me in the mornings out to an Air Force base before I'd have to go to school. And I'd ride our three-wheeler around through puddles and jumps and anywhere I could find out in this big open space. And then we'd load it back up in the van and I'd head to school in the morning. So that was probably the start of things. Um, I don't know, maybe before that it was going for rides on his motorcycles uh, that he had when I was really small. Uh, there's lots of stories about that. Uh, and I remember lots of different times when I'd ride on on the back of his Harley or on the back of one of his bikes that he had. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been around in my life, um, pretty much my whole life, uh, but wasn't part of my professional life until I started this business. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the well-known ATC, the three wheeler, Right. <laughs> I grew up on one of those things myself. It was too many days out there running over my own legs on that thing. <laughs> yep. Probably good. They got rid of them. <laughs> so Ken, how about you? It sounds like you, uh, you've been riding for quite a while. If you were riding Ben around on the back of your Harley. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess like a lot of guys my age, I've had a lot of different motorcycles. I got into it uh, like 1965, I guess, right around there. I think I was 15. I uh, did a little wheeling and dealing. It was a chance for me to get uh, transportation, you know, to go to school. That first winter I had it in the garage. I didn't have my driver's license yet, and I had a 65cc Honda. And then ever since then, just been tearing it up. Uh, <laughs> it was easy, cheap transportation. And it was something to do. It was great and still is actually to this day. So it kind of went from being uh, just something economical to, to a love at that point. Yeah. 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 It got me to school, got me a girlfriend, uh, got me around. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So I have to ask before we move uh, forward, what do you both uh, ride these days? What's your main ride? Well, this is Ken, and I, I have a uh, 1998 BMW 1100GS. Oh, so you didn't stray too far by uh, by taking this uh, this ride down on the, the R1200. 
No, pretty much the, the main reason I have this motorcycle is because I always wanted to try the Boxer engine. Yeah. And I'm really glad it turned out that I found the GS because uh, it, it's just a, a great bike. It's a great bike, all-around bike. Yeah, it's hard to beat them for sure. Um, I still ride the the motorcycle that I rode down to South America. Actually, it's parked in the shop. Um, I have lots of bikes though. I got a 1970 Norton Commando 750 that I ride to and from work most of the time. Uh, I got 500 XCW KTM dirt bike that I play around on the weekends with. Uh, whole fleet of rental bikes that I can ride anytime I want. So yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot to choose from when it comes to motorcycles these days. Yeah, I'm jealous of that rental fleet. I was in the other day, and you actually had your uh, KTM at the time, but looking around at all the bikes and just thinking, nah, the sucker, man, he gets to ride any one of these he wants at any time. How fun. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about your trip. Um, You guys did this in November of 2012. What is it that sparked the interest to to ride down to Ushuaia? I mean, this is uh, obviously so many motorcyclists want to do this trip. I mean, it's it's. It's equivalent to people wanting to ride up to Alaska or, you know, ride down the Baja Peninsula. So what is it that, that really made you, you it click in your head and how did you uh, approach your dad about doing the trip? Uh, I think the the big thing for me was just being into travel and being into seeing the world. Um, in the past, I'd lived since leaving home, I guess, in college uh, in Arizona. I, I'd moved to Hawaii uh, and then to Alaska, and then to Colorado. So I'd, I'd been a few fun places, and I'd had the opportunity to travel the world a little bit with my job at the time, and uh, started to see what was out there. And I thought, what better way to really get a feel for things than to ride a motorcycle uh, through as many countries as I possibly could. Um, so that's kind of where the idea came from. And you know what better person to do it with than than my dad? What an amazing experience to share with somebody and uh you know we're we're the best of friends, and I just asked if he'd want to go <laughs> so uh I assume Ken it was a, a no brainer for you, or did you have to ponder this one for a amount of time? Oh, not at all. I, I was ready to go uh it was great, and I was encouraged by Ben's mother. Uh, she said I had to bring her son back alive, so I had a, a mission. He was there to watch over you, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's awesome that you guys did that. I have uh, my father lives down in in Florida, and Ken, we're talking to you from uh, Arizona. Um, so he comes up, you know, as they come out to to visit us and the kids each summer. Uh, he often rents a motorcycle and and rides. Uh, we take some sort of three to five day trip somewhere in the west over here, and it's just it's such a great uh, experience to uh, to be able to do that with your dad. And it's definitely memories that you're 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 setting in place that will last you for a lifetime. So good for you guys for doing that. It's awesome. Yeah, it was. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, heading out. You guys chose to head out in November. Um, why is it you decided to go down at that point in the year? Well, we were kind of thinking that, um, you know, the weather being opposite in the Southern hemisphere, um, was going to turn at some point, uh, around February, through April, uh, down all the way there at the bottom. And we wanted to try and plan it so we had the best window of getting all the way to our goal um, and have the best weather uh, that we could too. But it also coincided with the off-season of the, the rental business, which we had going at that point. Uh, the winter time up here was really slow for rentals in Colorado. And then it's pretty much a great time to be in South America, being that it's summer. Um, so we were, we were trying to get a window with, you know, accomplishing our goal. And, and also that's really what was available to us. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And Ken, I understand you, I don't know if you still do it, but you, do you run the the business or help take care of the business in the winter hours as well? I try to come and, uh, go and see Ben in Boulder, uh, at at least a couple of times in the early spring, I'll ride my bike up there and leave it there most of the summer. Yeah, I help out in the shop and just be with him for a couple of months out of the summer. It's a lot nicer in Boulder than it is in Arizona at this time of year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought I maybe I misunderstood. I thought you were coming up in the winter. I'm thinking, what are you crazy? You're leaving Arizona to come up here? <laughs> we used to try oh, no. to do a little bit of a, a rental business down in Arizona in the winter time to make it more of a round the year, um, round the calendar year type of thing, but. Uh, we didn't see a lot of action down in Arizona, so we stopped doing that pretty early on. Okay, maybe that's where I got it. Yeah. All right. 
Okay, so the route that you guys took, uh, Boulder to you're heading for Ushuaia. I don't think you quite made Ushuaia, but uh, what did you? What route did you take to get down there? There's a couple of different ways to to pull this off. Yeah, we kind of just stuck to the west coast of everything <laughs> uh, as far as we could, uh, so that we could be near the ocean um, for camping. Uh, that was a plus um, for cooling off during hot days. That was a plus. Uh, it was it was really good scenery. Um, we didn't have to ride through any big cities that way or, you know, not that many big cities um, and and just stuck to the coastline, uh, made it a little bit easier than weaving in and out of things uh, as much as we could. OK, so this was you guys ended up doing 16,000 miles, more than 16,000 miles, and you took, what, over three months to do it. That's a long time on the road. Do you think that the the bikes you chose, the R1200 GS Adventure, were the, the right bikes to to uh, to take or would you change anything there? I think they're the perfect bike. Um, we took identical motorcycles so that we would have the ability to carry one set of p- spare parts and tools and lighten our load a bit. But the bikes themselves um, started every morning, never failed us the entire trip. The only thing we ever had to do on the whole trip was fix one flat tire. Um, so it, they, they were excellent, very reliable, uh, very capable of the of the journey, um, both on road, off road, and just covering large distances throughout each day. Uh, they're really comfortable, um, and the big gas tanks on them gave us the range to make it between fuel stations. Sometimes um, we got pretty close a couple of times and had to get gas out of somebody's backyard once, but it, <laughs> it definitely was the perfect bike. It carried everything we need and more, and then it it got us there without any problems. Yeah, I was going to ask about fuel. If uh, if you ran into any challenges getting fuel along the way, you know, for somebody that uh, would love to do that in the future, is there any uh, any words of warning there? Uh, we really didn't have that much of a problem because we had such a big range on those bikes. But there was one time when we were down. I think it was crossing from Peru into Chile um, when we were thinking we were going to make the gas station. Um, but frequently you'd run across gas stations that didn't have any gas. Um, and when we made it into town, realized that that was one of those instances, the gas station didn't have gas. So we had to backtrack to, uh, the last sign we saw that said gas, uh, and it turned to be somebody's backyard. Um, and there was a nice piece of fishnet that they used to cover over our fuel tank opening while he poured the dirty gas in there that we hope to make it to the next stop. So <laughs> gas through stockings. That's yeah. a, that's a great feeling when you're riding that distance. <laughs> Most of the time though, we made it without a problem. We, we were able to fill up, um, pretty much when we were worried, we'd fill up any chance we got. Like if we saw some gas, we would get gas, even if we didn't need it because we knew that, you know, it could be that the next three gas stations wouldn't have anything. So we always filled up when we could, but only really that one time did we have to go searching for something. Uh, I recall that not being out of someone's backyard, but when we stopped to ask about gas, uh, one fella said up the road, the yellow house, and yeah. we went up there and we found the yellow house and the guy came out uh, from across the street, actually, he was visiting a friend. Uh, he said, yes, he had gas. He went in the front door of his house, and then he came back out that same front door of his house out of his living room with uh, milk jugs with gas. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm not sure where he kept it. Right. Yeah, but it was it was pretty wild. <laughs> where are these people getting their gas that it's just a, a normal old house? It's not like the gas truck pulls up to a, a residence and hands you gas. I mean, where's the stuff coming from? I don't know. I figure they probably, you know, keep an eye on when the truck goes by, they head to the gas station and fill up as many milk jugs as they can just for instances like that where they can make a little money. Yeah, that's why all the pumps are dry. Yep. <laughs> They're all storing it. That's funny. Well, Ben, on your uh on your blog, and I want to point people to your to your site, it's uh houseofmotorad.com. You can go to uh the Adventuring South link to uh, to follow along. Um these guys kept a a blog of their entire trip along the way. And on that, you had kind of pointed out that this is more of a trip you know, about the journey and not necessarily you know, the des- the destination, which is the way I like to look at them as well. It's all about the 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 trip and not uh, the arrival. So, what does that mean to you? I mean, it seems like it was pretty important to you. Yeah, it was a really hard mindset to actually get into. Um, every vacation I'd ever taken in my life, or any trip I'd ever taken, was about going somewhere. 
and getting there and seeing that site and then coming back home, or it was about an activity or, you know, some type of destination or reason for doing the traveling. Um, the traveling was just something you had to do in order to get to that destination or reason. Uh, but on this trip, literally every day was just about the traveling, just about the journey. It wasn't about, oh, we really need to make it to Ushuaia or we really need to make it to this next, you know, ferry crossing on time or or to the next, you know, stop for, you know, the next appointment to visit some site or see something. So, you know, it, it wasn't about that. It was it was just about every day getting up and experiencing the day and what it had in store for us and and seeing what was out there. Um, we really didn't have anything to do every day except travel, ride the bikes, get up in the morning, push the little red start button and, and ride as long as we wanted to. Um, we could stop when we wanted. We could keep going all day. We could cover mileage, but it, it didn't matter. You know, we were just on, on the trip um, for as long as we could be. Isn't that the best feeling ever when you, uh, you wake up, you uh, get out of your tent or out of your hotel room and you think, what am I going to do today? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm going to ride again and I'm going to do it again tomorrow and the next day. That's uh, it's pretty awesome. That's the best way to go through life. <laughs> life becomes really simple for sure. Uh, a lot, a lot of things kind of fall away and you realize how much of stuff in your everyday life doesn't matter, how simple life actually is. So Pretty yeah, it's so true. We run through life uh, just like like you say. We're trying to get from point A to point B because there's a reason we have to be there, and probably a time when we have to be there. And to to be able to make that switch, you know, especially before you you leave, you know, turn that first mile, uh, to make that switch before you set out is uh, so important to be able to enjoy it fully. For sure, yeah, it's it's something that I I would like to say I did right before we left, but it definitely uh, you know I needed to remind myself throughout the entire journey that that's what it was about and not let myself slip back into goals and destinations and places and it was hard to do but it's a nice thing to do once you once you get the hang of it yeah absolutely Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. It's time to break out the hiking boots, rock shoes, and tents. The advancements in materials and design are more evolved than ever, from the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics. Bentgate has the premier brands representing climbing, hiking, and camping gear from Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or fine-tuning your quiver of gear? Their staff are all passionate adventurers that can give you the beta and advice you need. Bentgate is hosting numerous events and speakers this summer. Please check out their events page on their website, bentgate.com, for the latest information as well as their full product selection. Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new SIOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing, now that's progress. Visit SIOEYE.com and share your next adventure live. Let's talk about border crossings because stories of going down through South America are riddled with amusing border crossing anecdotes. So you guys, you must have a few that you could share with our, our audience about uh, crossing some of these borders and the, the issues that you dealt with. You want to take that one, Dad? <laughs> well, it was uh, almost always made complicated by you had to go to one building and then stand in line and you'd find out you had to go to a different building first and stand in that line. Uh, it, it, I, I always thought it went quite smooth. It, you have to put together, or you, you have to uh, 
be ready to spend, you know, like a half a day or at least a couple hours uh, doing a border crossing, sometimes a little longer than that. But after the first one or two, it goes, I always felt it went pretty easy. Uh, I thought it was exciting. And it was just part of the trip. You know, it was never, let's get through this, let's get done. You know, we just took our time and, and did what we needed to do. And then uh, it, it was, it, they were fun, actually. The border crossings were quite fun, always different. There was uh, one time when uh, Ben went and actually showed the guys, I think it was one of the mountain passes in Argentina. They didn't know how to do the paperwork. And Ben went in and sat down at their computer and took care of all the paperwork for them. Uh, <laughs> nice. It's, it's true. And then, uh, yeah, they were just, it was fun. A lot of people running around, people trying to help you. Most of the time, you didn't really need help if you knew the language. And Ben does really good with the, the Spanish language. So it, went, it helped a lot. I, on the other hand, don't speak any Spanish at all. But uh, I, I, I get the feeling that you can go just about any place in the world and communicate. Uh, one way or another, you'll get your point across. I think that's probably why you thought it was pretty easy, because I did all the talking. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> they're pretty exciting. When we first crossed the border in New Mexico, there was a bomb scare at the border, so we had to cross at some tiny little farm town instead. Wow. And that stopped us from getting our necessary import permits, because they told us to just keep going. <laughs> so that's what we did. And then when we were supposed to leave Mexico... We didn't have the correct paperwork, so we ended up kind of uh, bribing or not – actually, no money actually changed hands. We actually just got a hold of somebody who was willing to put the right stamp on the right piece of paper in a back room with nobody watching uh, to get us out of there uh, with our bikes and stuff. So things were interesting for sure. There's there's always, like you said, something different. Um, but all in all, they, they went pretty smooth once you surrender, like you said, to the fact that it's going to take you at least a few hours. Yeah, and that's a, that's another mental preparation thing. I I think that you know people going into it need to be aware of. It's just let yourself go. Understand that they some will take long a long time, and others might surprise you. But just go with the flow and don't get riled up and upset about it. Because I think that would be my most difficult thing is one dealing with bribes and two dealing with the the crazy um you know back and forth going to different windows and, and waiting in different lines for the the most mundane things that just seem out of sorts and don't make any sense and i think going into that you just have to really uh, submit to it and and let it be for sure because it is what it is you're not going to change it right yeah for sure one of the things that helped me deal with it was was my dad actually making the observation that without all these little little itty bitty pieces of paper to sign and different places to visit and different buildings to to get signatures at uh, all these people wouldn't have jobs and they wouldn't have something to do and literally all those things were created so that those people did have something to do in a lot of those countries and had a paycheck that they could bring home to their families so i kind of stopped looking at those little tasks as mundane or a waste of time and started looking at it as, well, this guy has a job because I got to go get this little piece of paper signed and it only takes an hour of our day. But, you know, this guy, you know, feeds his family with this little one hour task we have to do. So I, I was happy to do him after a little while. That's a good point. Nice way to look at it. Ken, you're going to say something. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just recalled that uh, before we left, we read someplace that you should take copies of all your important paperwork. And we did just that. We had a whole folder, both of us, of uh, birth certificates and titles for bikes and uh, all the different things you'd need to cross the border. It was always difficult to surrender your passport, the original, to someone. Uh, but that's kind of a mandatory thing now and again. And then they take it in another room and you're thinking, well, I want to be glued to this guy. I'm not going to let go of this. But uh, right. having all those copies of different papers really helped, actually. That was important. Yeah, that's a good tip. I've heard that a few times. Um, so that brings up the the question, you know, when did you run into any issues where that was a that was a problem where they disappeared with your documents and you know, tried to trap you or did it kind of go smoothly? Well, that was one time that I remember with the police um pulling us over for a traffic stop. They said we were speeding or something, um random. Uh, we made the mistake of giving them our actual driver's license or passport or whichever it was. I can't remember. Um, 
but that gave them a bargaining chip at that point because they they wouldn't release the passport until you know we agreed to pay our fine aka bribe uh and we needed those to keep going um but we figured out that we had nowhere to be and and they did they wanted to go home for dinner or they wanted to go out for lunch or they wanted to go pull somebody else over who was going to hand over some money so once they realized that we had nowhere to go and and we could sit there forever um it turned into a different type of game um you know they said well let's just go down you know we're going to take you in we're going to arrest you guys and take you to the station we said that's fine you can go ahead and take us down there we'd be happy to pay our fine at the station um but of course they didn't want to do that because we hadn't actually done anything wrong and they they just wanted money um and they had our driver's license and they thought by holding on to that 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 you know that was going to be their bargaining chip but we realized well go ahead take us to the station if you want that's not going to happen and we can sit here until tomorrow can you i you know my tent and sleeping bag is right there where's yours <laughs> So we just waited it out and eventually got him back and, and kept going. That's great. I interviewed Sam Manicom on this show. And this guy, you probably know of him. He spends his life doing this. This is what he does is just travel around the world consistently. And, uh, and he's the, he seems to be the master of just waiting these border crossings out. You know, he'll just, he'll just politely look at him and say, well, I'm going to go sleep over there. And once you get ironed out, come wake me up. And yeah. <laughs> they just get tired of him. You know, just, they, he tires them out and they say, just go through, go through. Yeah. I don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> so one of you, um, let's go with Ken. Ken, what was the most amazing experience on this trip? Was there a certain country or a certain uh, day that just really uh, left an impression on you? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, there were, there were, a lot of them, actually. Uh, I think the one time we were crossing the Andes, and we got, once again, a border crossing. We thought we missed a road to the border crossing, and then an hour later, we came across it, and uh, it was in the middle of nowhere. And we got through there late, and we took off, and the next thing you know, we're right on the top of the Andes, and it's starting to get dark, and it's starting to sleet and rain. Uh, we pulled over. And it was a gravel road going up a little higher. We went up that, decided we should camp for the night. There was a stream running through, and it was cold and wet. Set up the tent, and I remember waking up at night thinking the air was so thin. I wanted to make sure I was still alive. It was kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just freaking out a little bit. And I got a fun time and looked out at all the stars, and the moon came up on the horizon on the top of the mountain, and it only came across the sky, uh, it came up about a third, and it was gone just that quick. And I, I got a feeling I'm the only person in the entire world <laughs> that saw that moon that night from that spot. And that's just kind of burned into my mind as one of the highlights of the trip, actually. And oh, that's cool. It was in Falls also. I'll throw that in there. But there, there were a million things that were all great. <laughs> Very cool. What about you, Ben? Uh, outstanding moment or day, huh? On the trip. Yeah. You can go with a a day when things, you know, went sideways on you at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It was a real, I guess one of the most memorable, um, parts of the trip was when we were driving through Guatemala and, uh, we had been riding the motorcycles for a while and really got a good feel for them after a few miles, you know, uh, that day. And we had just gone across the river on a little pontoon boat. We put both motorcycles on and the boat was small enough so that when the bike went on to the boat, it went down a little bit. Um, so it was, it was a pretty small boat to get across the river. And then on the other side of the river, there was just beautiful pavement and it was dry and it was sunny and, I was just really feeling the flow that day, and and I probably carved turns and scraped more pegs that day uh, faster than I had ever done, and it was it was effortless. It was just like a zen riding day for me, and it ended uh, in this little town called Lankeen that was down the steepest, craziest road. Um, and it was all dirt and washed out, and we got to the bottom, and and we experienced this amazing limestone bridge area where the river had eaten away at the ground and started to flow underground uh, as well as above ground. So you could kind of go underneath the water and come up in these little limestone caves. 
it was really an amazing place uh, and, and an epic day of riding to get there. Um, and then there were other days where we were riding and we were on the coast in the middle of nowhere and the roads were so twisty and I was feeling so good in them. And I was going really, really cruising around the corners really fast. And then after like four or five hours of doing that, not going straight at all, just constantly cornering, you just get sick of cornering. And I never thought I would say that, but yeah, I really <laughs> wanted to go straight. So there was, you know, days that, that were awesome for riding and days that you really felt like you wanted to, to, to just take a break too. Um, but yeah, no, oh, that brings another one to mind. Actually, we were down in the Atacama desert when the, the wind was blowing so hard, the bikes were at 45 degree angles into the wind and in the wind was just like sandblasting material. It was just blowing straight across. And whenever a, a big semi would come in the other direction, it would double the wind power that was hitting you and you could get sucked in all different directions. And it was a nightmare, but we couldn't stop because it was really hot. But if you stopped, it would just blow the motorcycle over. So we had to keep going just to have the centrifugal force of the tires to keep us upright. That was an amazing day too. I don't know. There's a million of them. <laughs> Those are one of the days when you want to ride it back to the other way to wear down the other side of your tires because you spend uh, spend your time riding at a 30 degree angle. For sure. I can totally relate to the, you know, so many twisties, you get tired of it. You just, you know, you get on these rides and you pick these, the best roads you can find for the trip that you've, you've come up with. And, uh, and you spend all day on these twisties and finally when something straightens out, you're like, oh, thank God. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. You never thought you'd get tired of them. It's kind of the same with dirt. You ride dirt all day long and, and then if you hit a patch of pavement, it's like, okay, that's a nice break. I mean, I love, I love riding the dirt, but you hit a patch of pavement. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll take this, you know, for, sure. for the time being. So yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about House, House of Motorad. Um, you guys run a great shop over there in Boulder. Thanks. Uh, House of Motorrad, uh, M-O-T-O-R-R-A-D, for those who don't know. Uh, so what is it you guys do? Obviously, rentals and repairs, but go into it uh, a little bit more detail so people really truly know. Sure, yeah. We specialize in adventure bikes, uh, everything that has to do with adventure motorcycling that epitomizes the trip we took, um, everything from selling the gear that we have tested and tried um, to ride with, uh, to selling parts to fix your bike, to working on your motorcycle for you, um, giving you advice about what aftermarket items work with which bikes and, and you know, what's the best thing on the market um, to, to renting the bike out for a day, renting it for a month. Uh, so we're, we're a one-stop shop for everything adventure motorcycling, in addition to working on other makes and models uh, for, for people that bring stuff in. Like I just spent the morning working on a Harley Sportster uh, 1200. So we, we work on everything, uh, but we specialize in adventure bikes. Very cool. So yeah, if you guys uh, are inspired by these stories about riding down to uh, South America or maybe just come out and, and take a, a multi-day trip around Colorado, go see uh, Ben over at House of Motorrad in Boulder and uh, he'll get you set up for, a, for a, a great ride at a great price for sure. And definitely check out the Adventuring South blog on, on the site because he's, uh, like I said, they, the photos and the, the write-up of this whole thing is truly inspiring. I was, I was perusing that myself and it's easy to get lost in it. So Ben, uh, how can people follow you uh, to go see more about you? You're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, a bunch of those, right? Yeah, we're on all those things. Um, I don't get to it as much as I'd like to. Running a business is is a lot of a uh, uh, demand on my time. Uh, but I also just had a daughter. Uh, she's ten months now, so uh, the family life is busy, the work life is busy. But yeah, I, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram, Twitter. Um, they can, you know, stop in the shop and see me six days a week. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, congratulations on the, the new child. It's always a, a fun time in life for sure. It is. Thanks. House of Motorrad is Colorado's original adventure motorcycle rental company. From their top-of-the-line fleet of rental motorcycles by BMW, KTM, Triumph, and Yamaha to their expert service shop, they are your one-stop shop for all of your motorcycle needs. Servicing all makes and models from tire changes to engine rebuilds, House of Motorrad will take care of you and get you on the road.
Visit www.houseofmotorad.com to check out their selection of parts and accessories or call them at 720-466-0047. At House of Motorad, your adventure awaits you. Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180tack.com to find your next camp stove. Let's talk about uh, safety. You know, a lot of people have fears of a of a trip like this, but you know, the the more and more people we we talk to that have gone on them, saying, you know, it's just not, it's so overblown. So, what are your feelings on on safety? Did you ever feel like you were uh, you were in a situation that was uncomfortable that way? Uh, there was one situation that felt uncomfortable, but pretty much every border crossing, you would have somebody from the country you were. Um, in tell you that the next country was extremely dangerous and to watch out. And then once you got over there, you'd have somebody from that country tell you, oh my God, I can't believe you made it out of that country alive. So it, you know, it's just a a common misconception. uh, I think about travel around the world that it's dangerous and everybody thinks that the next place that they, you know, that they aren't or that they haven't been to is going to be dangerous when in actuality, you know, sure there are dangerous things in the world, but I think traveling the world is a pretty safe thing to do um, in general. That being said, we did have one experience where we were camping on a beach. And in the middle of the night, um, we were sleeping in the tent and my dad was passed out cold. And I I woke up to some jingling noises uh, and I didn't, it was pitch dark. There was no light anywhere. uh, And all I heard was this metal clanking sound and was trying to find where it was coming from. And, I started to see some glistening off of the the moonlight, basically, of people jumping out of the back of a truck, like a big armored truck. Uh, and the sound that I was hearing was the sound of the straps holding their machine guns as they ran towards us uh, in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, we saw them. I saw them coming, um, and they just kept running straight at us. And they were, they were silent, they were, but they were running right at the tent. And I didn't, I was just sitting there going, okay, what's the play here? My dad's sleeping. Do I wake him up? What, what are we going to do? <laughs> Cause we didn't, you know, carry any kind of weapons or anything with us, but turns out they ran right past the tent, turned on a big spotlight and shined it up and down the beach. And they were actually the uh, local military that were looking uh, up and down the beach for drug trafficking. Uh, And it turns out they were there to make us safe and we never saw any type of uh, drug trafficking or anything, but yeah, they ran right past the tent, looked up and down the beach, uh, shut the light off and hopped back in their truck and took off. So it turned (laughs) out to be nothing, but it was pretty wild when I saw them all running at me with guns. Yeah, I'll bet. (laughs) Impromptu search party, but yeah, keep you from sleeping the rest of the night that was probably the most dangerous thing we ever encountered though there really wasn't much other than that oh that's good well that's pretty much the the story we always hear i did have uh, a guy by the name of glenn hegstad on that you know did a, a similar trip and down in Colombia, he wasn't so lucky he ended up getting nabbed by guerrilla rebels and held held captive for multiple days and kind of they beat the snot out of him until they finally let him go but it's uh it's definitely the the rare story out of all of the ones that we have. So it's good to know. Yep. So your uh, wife, Lisa, did she manage to get down and meet up with you guys? She did. Yeah. She met us down in Buenos Aires in Argentina. Um, Her and one of our friends, her name was Brooke. uh, She rode on the back of my dad's bike and my wife rode on the back of my bike for the next few weeks as we crossed over the Andes back and forth into Chile and Argentina and up and down. Um, They were able to join us for a little bit of the trip. It was amazing. Ah, Very cool. Good opportunity. Yep. 
So how far did you guys actually make it down? I know you were, you were shooting for Ushuaia, but you got held up by weather. Yeah, once we got down to Patagonia, um, we had been on the road for a long time, and my wife needed to get back home, so so we dropped them off um, at an airport, and they flew home. Uh, and we we contemplated back and forth continuing on down, and and the further south we went from there, the the worse things got. Um, the wind and the freezing rain and the roads were icy and it really turned into uh, the uh, closing of the window weather-wise that we had um, tr- tried to line up at the start of the trip. So we, we ended up deciding that we had been on the road long enough and we we didn't want it to end with some horrific crash in the middle of nowhere because of icy roads or frozen fingers or something like that and decided it wasn't again about the end of the trip it was about the journey and we had been on the trip the whole time um so this last little bit didn't matter at all yeah no doubt i can agree with that there's no no reason to push it if you're just going to turn the journey into a nightmare at that point it's not worth worth it at all so did you guys have any mishaps uh with the bikes or anything i know you had a, a one punctured tire but no no drops or or Low sides or anything like that? Uh, no crashes or anything like that. Um, good. I think we both dropped them once on the trip, um, just not paying attention. I think, yeah, I, I stopped at this, on the side of the road and we pulled over. We were going to look at the map and we were talking about the map for a while and, and, and all of a sudden decided, oh, well, let's just get off our bikes and have something to eat. And I just hopped off thinking I had already put the kickstand down and I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> so the bike fell over but yeah nothing major we never really crashed or anything so good safe trip yep well ken what what advice would you have for somebody that's listening now and thinking you know i've always wanted to do that trip what things would you tell them to be prepared for to to do you know ahead of time or maybe to look out or to plan for now that you've done it uh, <clears throat> excuse me i think uh i, I would recommend it to anybody to do it. I, I, I think I felt safe all the time. I don't think I was ever afraid. Uh, we didn't go looking for trouble. I'm thinking if you, you know, if you want trouble, you can find it. But, uh, I would say that anybody should, uh, can and should go, uh, Ben did a lot of the, the preparation. Um, I didn't do much in that neighborhood and I pretty much followed on the trip also. Uh, but yeah, I, I think anybody can do it. And I'll go again tomorrow if you, if you want to leave then. <laughs> <laughs> There's Sounds an invite. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Very cool. Well, Ben, what about words of encouragement from you? Yeah, it's definitely doable. Um, it's really just a matter of how comfortable you want to be, um, and, you know, as to how much it's going to cost you. But if you're willing to just kind of rough it and and get by bare bones, um it's it's worth doing for sure. Uh, it's a life changing experience. Uh, it's an amazing thing to do every morning to just get up and ride and see all those places, and we'll never forget it. So, you know, if you ever have the chance, um, everybody should try and make their dreams come true, no matter what it is, whether it's riding a motorcycle across countries, or just you know, overcoming a fear, or you know, the smallest of things. You should you should go for it because that's what life's about. Well said. Well, you sold me for sure. <laughs> How about budgeting? Um, you know, obviously people have to take what, you know, a lot of time off of work or quit their jobs or, you know, have a business where they can uh, step aside for a little while. But money is obviously always a, an issue. Um, you guys did a lot of camping from what I understand. But what kind of uh, – what advice would you have as far as budgeting, you know, roundabout number or you know it's hard to say what or it's hard to know what things cost on a trip like this it is hard uh, even the cost of gas varied greatly along you know different countries uh, sometimes it was massively expensive sometimes it was extremely cheap so it was hard to budget uh you know down to the penny but you know coming up with a plan of oh i'm going to stay in hotels versus i'm going to stay in you know campgrounds or or things like that or just camp in vacant spaces and alongside the road. I mean, those are all definitely different um, ways of experiencing the trip at different money levels. Um, so, you know, if if you really want to do it on a budget, you can. Uh, if you want to 
live it up, you can do that too. Um, but basics, you got to cover gas and food, um, and lodging if you choose to pay for lodging. But most of the time, the way we did it was camp. If we could stay in a hotel every once in a while to take a shower. Um, and then, uh, we ate out of the back of our motorcycles. Most of the time we would just stop at grocery stores and, and buy whatever there was available and fill up one of the boxes. We called the kitchen, uh, the top case on the back of my motorcycle. And we filled it up with whatever we could and, and ate out of that on the side of the road. Most of the time, um, it was really hard to resist sometimes when you'd drive by like a barbecue stand or something. So we'd stop at those every once in a while, but most of the time, <laughs> right. we just ate canned food and, and, you know, produce and vegetables and stuff like that we could buy at grocery stores yeah definitely budget in your uh your ability to stop by a seafood stand along baja for sure <laughs> yep. some things are a must yeah no doubt well do you remember did you uh tally up what the the trip cost you guys just as a, a ballpark do you remember what that was we never really tallied up everything um but i'm guessing it was around gosh fifteen thousand dollars maybe was it? Okay. That's a guess. Yeah, Who knows? <laughs> anyway, maybe that that would cover you at least. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a bunch of 15, yep. that would cover you. I think it depends on what you decide to count, what, what you decide to count um, towards the trip. Like, the is it the cost of the bikes and, and all that kind of stuff? Or, you know, is that included in your cost of your trip? Or do you already own the motorcycle? You know what I mean? Or do you, uh, you know, calculate in all the different things that were optional or, you know, just stuff that was necessary so it's hard to know what to include in in your budget and what not to include i guess yeah i think you could go a lot cheaper if you're an individual doing it we ran into several guys that were riding by themselves and i think it's a lot easier if you're all all alone a lot cheaper uh i think as far as the money goes i I would suggest anybody that's doing it or uh, planning to do it would be to take the time to understand the currency of the countries you're going into uh, exchange rates, uh, type of money they have, and really learn that for each country you're going to go into because that could be pretty confusing in my eyes it was. Uh, and you're never quite sure if you're getting beat or not. <laughs> that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people walk into it just completely blind. They don't know what they're handing somebody. They just trust them to to give them back the correct change and they don't really know what they just spent on a meal or or yeah. tip or, you know, anything like that. Good point. Right. What about, what about insurance? Um, you know, I know you're not going to have your regular old American family or Geico insurance cover you down there, right? No. Every time you go through a different country, you have to get some type of temporary insurance. Um, in, in most cases, uh, that would just kind of cover the basics. Um, you're kind of taking the risk in a lot of the places. There's not a lot of insurance available. Yeah, that's what would scare me is wondering if what you bought is legitimate stuff or just some crook on the side of the road that didn't got a few bucks out of you. Right. But I think it was uh, required by the government at a lot of the crossings, wasn't it then? Yeah, definitely. But who knows what we would have um, gotten had we needed to make use of that insurance. Right. Right. So I think obviously having insurance on your bike from, from your own country, but also having some travel insurance from your country that would uh, get you out of there if something you know, truly bad happened. And then obviously you have to have the, the mandatory insurance crossing the borders into that specific country. Things you, all things you need to plan and budget for, of course. Yes, for sure. Okay. So last thing I want to talk about is future plans. Do you guys talk about doing another trip like this? Have you done one after or since you've done this one? Well, we haven't done another motorcycle trip since this one, a real big one at least. Uh, we've done a number of different trips, but um, I'd love to do mo- another motorcycle trip someday. Um, kind of the thing that I toss around all the time is Eastern Europe. Um, the only issue is that the riding season over there is kind of the same as the riding season here in Colorado. So getting away from the business is going to be harder, but it'd be great to make it happen. Um, I think that'd be an amazing trip to do. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with you. I would uh, I would love to ship the bike over there or go rent something over there and, and ride the Alps and yep. <laughs> enjoy that whole thing. I keep telling my wife, that's how we're going to retire. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> nice. I'll give you days to relax and shop and I'll go ride and then you have to ride on the back of the, the bike the other days that you're not relaxing and shopping. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Is it that easy, Ken? Does it work out that way? Um, 
Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> I still, um, I take a pretty good ride at the end of the season when I leave Boulder to come back to uh, Arizona at the end of summer. Uh, try to take in some of the United States. I think this year I might be headed up toward uh, the northern Rocky Mountains and uh, maybe British Columbia and then come back down the coast. So Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's great up there. I just got down from uh, Idaho. That um, oh, I think it's Highway 12 from uh, over Lolo Pass. Take that one in if you can while you're up there. Okay. Yeah, I think the year before last it was the Sawtooth Mountains. That was mm-hmm. an awesome ride. It was uh, raining and uh, snowing a little bit, but it was probably some of the best riding I've ever had in my life. It was great. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for, for coming on the show and taking the time to share about this trip. I know there's a, a lot of listeners, including myself and my co-host, Kurt, um, a lot of people that want to make this same trip. And it's always great to hear uh, different versions of the uh, of the same trip out of different people. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for I've never us. been on the yeah, I've never been on the radio before, and uh, I'm a little more comfortable now. If you want to do this again, I have a lot more information in my head than, <laughs> than I could let you have. <laughs> well, good. Now that you got a little bit of practice in, uh, you know, I'll be calling you up. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right. I can always sit around and talk about motorcycle trips. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And for all of our listeners, be sure until the next podcast episode to get out there and try something new. Have a good evening. Hey, listeners, if you're looking for a few good adventure-related books to read, head on over to the ASP Bookshelf link at AdventureSportsPodcast.com to see our selection of books from the past guests. By purchasing from our link, you'll be supporting the guests as well as the Adventure Sports Podcast. And if you happen to visit one of our sponsors, please do us a favor and let them know that you came there because of the Adventure Sports Podcast. It's always good that they know where you came from. And as always, thanks for listening to the show. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.